right, good morning. All right, let's jump right in then. How many of you remember exactly where you were? Young people, this is going to be really easy, okay, because you weren't alive yet. But uh, the rest of you that are more experienced, how many of you remember exactly where you were on this super important date in history? June 11th, 1993. Anybody know exactly where you were that day? Nobody? Come on, it's so important. I know exactly where I was. In fact, it wasn't very far from here. It was just about 10, maybe 10 minutes away. I was in Lakeville, Minnesota with a buddy of mine, college buddy, and we were in a completely packed movie theater about three rows back getting ready for opening night of, let's see, my slides. Are, do you guys have the thing plugged in and up on the shelf? It's right there. Oh, there we go. It's just delayed. Uh, there we go. We're getting ready for opening night of that. Okay? Just don't you love technology? Let's roll with it. All right, so um, why was it such a big deal? Because, kids, you have to understand this for the first time in movie history, dinosaurs looked real. They were amazing. They were incredible. They were terrifying. I mean, they looked like they belonged in the movie. And, all right, and so it was the first time that it ever looked like that. But before that time, if you want to see dinosaurs in movies, you know, you really didn't get that at all. Um, here we go. Oh, come on. We tested it last night. There we go. This is what they looked like. If you wanted to watch them back in the 30s, you might have got the old King Kong movie that looked like this. But um, you know what? You know, as technology improves, things are going to get better and better, right? So you would think they're going to look a lot better. But you might get the 1960s where it looked kind of like this next slide. Nope. <laughs> All right. And then in the 80s, they looked like this. And we've already lost the joke, but I praise God I grew up in the 80s, not the 90s, because 90s kids got what you just saw. There it is. Okay? And you wonder why we have so many problems in our culture. This is why, right? <laughs> All right, look, if you put dinosaurs in a movie, you're going to sell a lot of tickets because people love dinosaurs, okay? And you can put them in all sorts of movies. Put, it against, put four of these guys against a great ape, you're going to make over $500 million, or each one of these ones that are, you know, the, the Jurassic World movies, each of them over a billion dollars worldwide. And the one that's, wow, that's really buggy. All right, still in theaters right now. And what, you can put them in movies that look like they're made for kids or in shows that are made for kids or in movies. Sorry, this is just not working. All right. You can put them in movies that look like they're, or that movies that are about toys and people are going to watch it. And you can put it in, you, the movie doesn't even have to be very good and people are going to go watch it, okay? And who can forget Land Before Time? Oh, and all 4,000 sequels. Why do they keep making that? Actually, there's just 14, okay? I exaggerated a little bit. But, you know, there's also a lot of books, dinosaur books about, for kids. I mean, there are a lot of dinosaur books for kids. And this is just scratching the surface. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think you can guess the first line in almost every one of these books? What is it? First line in almost every one of the books is? Millions of years ago. You know what? If you filled this entire room with four-year-olds and you asked them this question, when did dinosaurs live? What do you think you're going to hear? Millions of years ago, and it's been through movies that they learned that idea. And so they're being taught from the time they're four years old, you cannot trust God's word. And it's been through dinosaurs. It's as if dinosaurs are this lure that are being used to bring young people into an anti-biblical worldview. So am I going to get the picture up here on the screen as well? Okay, all right. 
That's why I keep turning around. Sorry about that. Uh, but we've, you know what, at the Creation Museum where I work and at the Ark Encounter, we also have dinosaurs. So the secularists are not the only people who are using dinosaurs because they're part of God's creation. Okay, so here's from the Dino Den at the Creation Museum. And we also have our Allosaur fossil named Ebenezer, who is also at the Creation Museum. There it is. And if you go to the Ark Encounter, spoiler alert, we also have some dinosaurs. So you saw two stegosaurs before that, two pachycephalosaurs here, and we also have two juvenile T-Rexes right there. Um, so you know what? We also teach about dinosaurs at both those places. Why would we have dinosaurs on the Ark Encounter? Well, I'm going to explain that in just a little bit. But you know what? I've also wanted to teach about dinosaurs and teach people the truth about those things. So I've written a, a youth fiction series for kids that is all about teaching dinosaurs. And Probably going to jump two slides. There we go. Uh, so that's what's called the Truth Chronicles. I'll tell you more about that by the time we wrap things up. And before we get into that, let's, let's slow down a little bit. What is a dinosaur? Okay, Because a lot of people think they know intuitively what these creatures are, but in a lot of these books that we see, a lot of the movies, even the, the new Jurassic World movie that's out there, one of the creatures that's in there is not even technically considered to be a dinosaur. Actually, a couple of them are not. Um, not that you guys would have ever seen that. I had to go watch it for research purposes. Uh, so... <laughs> But here's, let's define this term, and then we're going to do a little bit of interaction here. We're going to see how good you guys are at this. So a, a dinosaur is, generally speaking, a land reptile that has its legs directly underneath its body. Okay, not sprawled out to the side or anything like that, like a crocodile or alligator. The, it could have two legs or four legs, but the legs are directly underneath the body. You got it? So I'm going to show you a series of pictures. And, you know, there's a good amount of young people in here, but there's more adults, Right? Okay, adults, can you be louder than the kids? You might be the first church where this ever happens, but can you be louder than the kids? I'm going to show you a series of pictures. I want to know, dinosaur or not a dinosaur? Okay, that's the only answer. Dinosaur, not a dinosaur. Here we go. So the first one, how about chasmosaur? There. Dinosaur, okay, how about Demetrodon? Not a dinosaur. Look at the legs sprawled out to the side. Yet yeah, this is in all the children's books. This is in the new Jurassic World movie as a dinosaur. No, they're not. They're technically called synapsids. Okay? So even the new movies is not following the quote-unquote science as they claim to be. Okay? So this is not a dinosaur. How about the next one? Velociraptor. Dinosaur. Now these are from the Creation Museum. They're only this tall and about this long. Why? Because that's as big as Velociraptor got. Oh, no, no, no. I saw Jurassic Park. They were this tall. Yeah, because that's a lot scarier. Okay. What they did is they actually took a different dinosaur called Deinonychus, and they used that as the model for, for Velociraptor, but Velociraptor is such a cool name, so they kept that name. Okay. All right, how about Parasaurolophus? Dinosaur. You better get that. That's my wife's favorite one. Okay, how about the Mosasaur? Not a dinosaur. You guys, come on, be, wake up. All right, you better get the next one. How about T-Rex? Oh. Yeah, the Stegosaur is a dinosaur as well, and we're going to back up a little bit. T-Rex? And Pteranodon, not a dinosaur. That is a flying reptile. Mosasaur is a, is a marine reptile. All right. We're good now? They're giving me symbols back there. Oh, yeah, Stegosaurus is a dinosaur. What? Okay. All right, so let's go into this then. Let's, let's, pretty good job, guys. Nice job of interaction. Sorry, I was getting some messages from back there as well. So let's... Um, Let's jump into this question. How many of you have ever wondered this before? How do you fit dinosaurs in the Bible? Has that been a question you've been asked or you've wondered about that before? Okay, maybe that's one of the reasons why you wanted to hear me talk about dinosaurs. So if that's what you wanted to know, get ready to write this down because it's a, a really important point. How do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? The answer is you don't. 
What? I thought that's what you were going to tell me. I am going to tell you. Here's what I mean by that. You don't take man's ideas about the past of hundreds of millions of years of evolution and death and suffering disease of these creatures for going on for millions of years and then try to cram that into the Bible somewhere. What you do is you start from God's Word and you use that to explain the world around us. All right, so we use the Bible to explain the world around us. You use God's word, the word of the one who knows all things, who has always been, okay, and cannot lie. He told us what he did. He's the eyewitness to creation. He told us what he did. We're going to use that to explain the world around us. Does that make sense? When you're talking about history, you want an eyewitness. Well, we have the best eyewitness, and that's God. And so that's what we're going to do. So when we do that, when we start from the biblical worldview, Okay? It's like taking the God's Word and putting it right in front of our face so that everything we see gets filtered through that lens of Scripture. Well, what do we read in the very first chapter of the Bible? That God made the land animals. He said he made the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. The land animals were made on which day? Day six, which happens to be the very same day that he made man. So from a biblical perspective, dinosaurs or man were made on the same day. And so when people tell you, oh, no human has ever seen a living dinosaur before, they're not starting from the Bible. Because the Bible tells us they were made on the same day. And you know what they tell you now? Because now it's different. They say, oh yeah, we've all seen dinosaurs before. They're flying around in your backyard. You know they reclassified birds as avian dinosaurs? So that's what they tell us now. So they've even changed their view on that. So humans and dinosaurs were made at the same time. It doesn't mean we lived right next to them, but maybe. But people look at that and they think, that's just ridiculous. I mean, how can you live at the same time as T-Rex? Can you imagine looking at, look at that creature. Look at the teeth, seven, inch, seven inches long. Can you imagine having to live next to that thing? Well, let me ask you a question. How would this creature originally have been described? Who says originally a T-Rex was the carnivore, just a meat eater? Okay, who says originally he was a scavenger? He ate dead things, kind of like a vulture. Okay, who says originally he was an herbivore? A vegetation. Who has decided to not answer questions this morning? <laughs> uh, I think that's the majority of you. Come on, guys, it's interactive time. All right, uh, how about an omnivore that he ate all of the above? Yeah. Or my favorite, he is an anivore. He's a T-Rex. He can eat whatever he wants to. Who's going to tell him what he can or can't eat, right? Actually, there's one who can tell him what he can or can't eat, and that's the one who made him. And what does he say? Also to every beast of the earth, dinosaurs are land animals, to every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth in which there's life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Originally, T-Rex was herbivore. And people are like, that's crazy. Look at those teeth. Look, if you find a fossil that had sharp teeth, do you know what it tells you about that creature? That it had sharp teeth. <laughs> for example, take a look at that skull. When that creature was alive, it used those extremely sharp teeth to tear into the unsuspecting flesh of fruit. Because that's the skull of a fruit bat. Okay, so if you find a fossil with sharp teeth, it just means it had sharp teeth. It does not tell you what it ate. Think of bears. Okay, now I know a lot of times we think of bears standing at the waterfall waiting for the salmon and everything, and that's one time a year. What are they eating most of the time? Sorry, this is really buggy. All right, a lot of times they're not eating meat. Most of the year, they're not eating meat, and they've got sharp teeth. So again, just because the sharp teeth does not tell you what it ate, it just means it had sharp teeth. So don't let people trick you on that with the other creatures. All right, so does the Bible mention dinosaurs? Well, it doesn't use the word dinosaur, but it does mention this creature called the behemoth. And this is in Job 40, verses, beginning in verse 15. Look what it says about it. Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. It's like God saying, I made him the same day that I made man. 
Okay? He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. And the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. He moves his tail like a cedar. If you look in your study Bibles, a lot of them will have a little note that says possibly the elephant or the hippopotamus. He moves his tail like a cedar. <laughs> really? There we go. All right. Well, the elephant's tail is more impressive than the hippo's tail. I mean, what isn't? But um, really? Cedar tree? What do you think? I don't think so. There's one creature that we know of from the fossil record that fits this description perfectly, and that's the sauropod dinosaur. And yet so many people look at that and that's just impossible. They lived millions of years ago. No, no, no. Not when you start from God's word. They were made the same day. Okay? So in some, some of your study, study Bibles say, oh, the behemoth, that's probably some sort of mythological or mythical creature. Really? Look at the rest of Job. Look at the chapters right before that. Job 38 and 39. God asked Job about the lion, about the mountain goats, about the donkey, about the ostrich, about the wild ox, about the locust, about the hawk, about the eagle, about all these real creatures. Then he said, look at the behemoth. And people say, oh, that's a mythical creature. Really? No, it's a real animal. He describes what it does and what it's like. He even goes on, he says, his bones are like beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. I had one person write in to me something I had written, and they said, that's just so dumb. There's no such thing as a dinosaur that had, made, that had bones made out of bronze or iron. Um, you guys see those words right there? Okay, it's a simile. It's not saying they're made of that. They're like that. Why? Because they're so strong. Let me show you one backbone of an Argentinosaurus. Why do you think that creature had such a big backbone? Because it was such a huge creature. Okay, they estimate anywhere from 50 to 85 tons. Completely dwarf an elephant. Okay? So, some, speaking of elephants, some people think that in that passage where it says he moves his tail like a cedar, that maybe that word should be translated as trunk. Even though that word in Hebrew always refers to the end of something, not the beginning of something. But let's just give him that. Because when you read the rest of the passage, what do we find out about this creature? Indeed, the river may rage as he is not disturbed. He is confident, though he, the Jordan gushes into his mouth. Though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his, what's that word right there? Nose. What does an elephant not have? A nose. Guess what this creature is not? It's not an elephant. It's something else. And the only creature that we know of that fits it. Sorry, I don't know why this is being so buggy. Um, the only creature we know of that fits that description is the sauropod dinosaur. Okay? Now, maybe there's something else we'll find in the fossil record that would fit the description. But at this point, this is the one we've got. And it's only if you start from evolutionary assumptions that you would say, no, that can't be. But if you start from God's word, this makes perfect sense. So, the next chapter talks about this creature called Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan a hook or snare his tongue with a, with a line which you lower? It sounds like it's something in the water, right? But it also describes it as coming up on land. It talks about how it leaves pointed marks in the mud. We're not entirely sure what the Leviathan is, but here's what it describes. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out of his mouth. What does it sound like? We've already seen a couple pictures, right? Um, yeah, probably too cute, right? Okay, how about something like that? Uh, probably too fairy taleish, right? So, what is it? Well, we're not really sure what kind of creature it is, but, but, but Job knew and God knew. But let me show you this little creature right here because people think that's just so dumb. There's no such thing as a creature that breathed fire. How do you know? Anybody know what this is? It's one of the most amazing creatures God has ever made. I know it's hard to tell. It's just like a one-inch long insect. It's called the bombardier beetle. Okay, you knew that, right? All right, do you know what this creature can do? See the little tiny things pointed out the back end? It's like twin little cannons that it can aim in any direction that it wants. And what it's got is a different chemical on one side on the left, a different chemical on the other side on the right. And when it shoots those out, it also mixes with a third chemical. When those things combine in the atmosphere, it creates 
an explosion at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the boiling temperature of water at sea level. It's actually kind of shooting fire out his backside. Okay? So who's to say that God couldn't do the same thing out the front of a creature? All you have are the fossils. You don't know the full capability of what those creatures could do. If all you had was the fossil of this creature, you'd never imagine it was so amazing. So when he raised, talking about the Leviathan again, when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid because of his crashing there beside themselves. Though the sword reaches them, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. Some of your study Bibles say, oh, it's probably the crocodile or the alligator. Really? The fire-breathing alligator? Okay? Again, we're not really sure what it was. Some people have guessed something like the Spinosaur. Okay, if you saw the third Jurassic Park movie, which I'm not sure why you would, it was clearly the dumbest of all of them, but if you did... Um, <laughs> The, we now know this model is outdated. The, the tail was much more paddle-like, like an alligator or crocodile. So it seems to be something that was at com you know, comfortable in the water and also up on land. So maybe that kind of fits that description. Some people have suggested maybe the Sarcosuchus, which is like a 40-foot-long crocodile. We find the fossils of that thing in the Sahara Desert. And it's got this bulbous thing at the end of the snout, so maybe you know, chemicals could be mixed there. Well, I don't know. We didn't see it alive, so we're not really sure. Uh, some people have suggested maybe the Mosasaur. Some people think maybe the Chronosaur. But it's a little weird to think of a fire-breathing creature only in the water, right? And what's the point? You like to broil your, broil your fish or something? So again, it seems like it's something on land and in the water. We're not really sure. But here's the thing. God knew, and so did Job. And God was using this creature and the other ones to change Job's perspective. All right. Well, let's go to this question. Then we're dinosaurs on the ark. Well, you know our answer to that an at Answers in Genesis. If you've been to the ark encounter, the Creation Museum, you know our what we believe on that. So let me explain why we have dinosaurs on the ark. Because in Genesis 6, God said he's going to that animals after their kind, two of every kind, are going to come to Noah. No, notice that Noah does not have to go looking for the animals. God sends the animals to him. Okay, so when we start from scripture, we have answers to those questions, and yet we'll hear skeptics challenging the Bible on that point and on other ones. But God said the animals are going to come to him, and then in the next chapter, he tells us that the animals did go to him, and they went onto the ark. So the unclean animals, that would include the dinosaurs, unless they had gone extinct by that time. Did they? Well, we find their remains and a whole bunch of rock layers that are all laid down by a massive worldwide flood. So they were still alive at the beginning of the flood, meaning that two of each kind went on board the ark. And people think, that's just ridiculous. There's no way they could fit. I'm sorry, that's not the ark. And this isn't the ark either. It's like a little fairy tale ark or a little bathtub toy, right? The ark was something much more like this. It was huge. Now, I'm not saying it had to look exactly like this one, like the one we built in Kentucky, but this, these are the right dimensions. Here's what it looks like next to a football field. Um, do you guys know what that is here in Minnesota? I'm from Green Bay. I know what that is, but I don't know what you guys... <laughs> oh, no, Minnesota, Detroit doesn't know. That's, I got confused, sorry. All right, so, but it's massive. So the ark was much bigger than most people think. And then when you explain that the ark was so big, they think, really, but Argentinosaurus? Uh, yeah, fully grown, that would be a problem. You could still fit a couple on there, but that'd be about all you'd fit on there. Uh, but what about when they were younger? You know, they're not that big. And before that, they were only about the size of a football. I'm not saying that Noah took two eggs and rolled them up the ramp, hoping he got a pink one and a blue one, because if he didn't, we know why they went extinct. Okay? <laughs> but... After they hatch from that, they're not a whole lot bigger. And so many people have trouble comprehending this. Like, how could you still fit all these different animals on there? Look, he doesn't need to bring two of each of these. They're all members of the same kind. 
He just needs two members of that kind. He, same thing with tyrannosaurs. He doesn't need two of every one of these. He just needs two members of that kind. If you're struggling with that concept of kind versus species and all that, think of dogs. Okay? We have wolves and coyotes and dingoes. We're familiar with all those. Guess what? They're all different species. But they're just dogs. And look at the variety we have in the dog kind. Now, I'm not fully convinced all of these are dogs. Some of them look more like rats, but um, <laughs> still way better than cats. Um, but look at the variety. Noah doesn't have to bring all of them. There were no poodles on the ark. He just brought two dogs. And from that, you get all the dogs we see today. And people think, oh, that's like crazy evolution. No, it's the opposite of evolution because you're losing genetic information all along the way. Evolution requires a gain of information, something we never observed. What we see matches the biblical model. It does not match the evolutionary model. So how many different dinosaur kinds were there? We estimate between 50 to 90 kinds, and many of them were small. In fact, most of them were small. The average size of an adult dinosaur is about the size of a bison, like a large cow. Could you fit 50 to 90 pairs of large cows on board the ark? Yes. Okay, along with the other animals. So yes, they would fit. So let's deal with this question then. If you would have asked this question before June 11th, 1993, that date when Jurassic Park came out, most people would have laughed at you. Yes, there were some scientists teaching it, but now today it's conventional wisdom, right? Everybody knows dinosaurs evolved into birds. That's what we hear. Why? Well, a large part of it was these movies. That's what they push. Over. Yeah, it's not just about dinosaurs chasing people. Yeah, that's what a lot of it is. But what are they teaching over and over and over again? Dinosaurs evolved into birds. Dinosaurs evolved into It's all over the place in those films. And look what they did with Velociraptor in the first one. Notice how they look in the, on the left there? That's what they looked like in Jurassic Park 1 and 2. Look how they look in the third one. Notice anything different about them? Notice the quills coming out the back of the head? Like they're getting feathers. Look how much more colorful they are because they're all, the, throughout the whole movie, they're talking about how bird-like they are. That's what they're pushing okay, over and over and over again. And there's a whole bunch of books on feathered dinosaurs. And look, without even getting into the debate about this, whether or not they were actually feathered dinosaurs, let me ask you a question. If we found a fossil, a legitimate fossil, not three or four put together like they did with Archaeoraptor, but a legitimate fossil of a legitimate creature that really truly was a dinosaur and it looks like it had feathers, would that prove that dinosaurs evolved into birds? No. Could God make some dinosaurs with feathers if he wanted to? Of course he could. He can make all sorts of, I mean, think of the platypus. That's a crazy creature. He can make all sorts of things, however he wants to. And they would look way better than these ridiculous things, I can tell you that. But the whole idea of dinosaurs evolving into birds, it's impossible. Okay? We know that dinosaurs have scales. This is dinosaur fossilized dinosaur skin. And scales are very different than feathers. Okay? By the way, that's not the only change that has to happen. I mean, look at the feather underneath the microscope. All the little intricate hooks and barbules. That's so different than just a sheet of bumps, which the scales are. Okay? And you have to change so many more things. Here's what we know from genetics. If the creature does not already have the information in its genome... Four feathers, four lighter bones, four new circulatory system, four all these different things. It will never happen. It cannot get the information that it doesn't already have. Okay, so we know that from genetic studies. So the whole idea of dinosaurs evolving into birds is impossible. But by the way, creationists aren't the only people who say that the evidence is lacking. For example, Dr. Alan Fiducia, who's one of the world's leading ornithologists, wow, that skipped ahead, um, here we go, said this. So he studies birds for a living. In spite of some paleontologists' desperate pleas for us to accept through faith the dinosaurian origin of the avian flight, the details of the origin of birds remains elusive after more than 150 years. We've been looking for 150 years to find evidence that dinosaurs evolved into birds. We don't have it. And by the way, paleontologists want you to accept it by faith. 
Now, he's using the word faith in a way that the Bible's not used, but he's using the way that our world tells you where faith is, oh, it's believing in something for which you have no evidence. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the... How can people always use that word right there? That can't possibly be what it is. Let's try again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the... Evidence of things not seen. How can you say that evidence is part of the definition of faith? Because it is. It's not believing in something for which you have no evidence. It's believing in the one who is always trustworthy. He's shown himself to be trustworthy time and time and time and time again. We know we can trust him in the future. That's what faith is. It's a well-reasoned belief. All right, well, if I get on that, we're never going to get off that subject. So what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, they died. All right? Um, some people, there's a lot of different theories out there. If you look at the different museums, they'll have all these different displays and what might have happened. Some people think they were killed off by a plague. Some people think they ate everything in sight. Some, then, of course, there would be nothing left. And so then they died of starvation. Or there's all sorts of different natural disasters that could have befallen them. And, of course, the big one is, you know, 65 million years ago, this asteroid or comet struck the Yucatan Peninsula, and there goes all the dinosaurs and some other creatures as well. From a biblical perspective, what happened to the dinosaurs? Well, God made them on day six. Two of each kind got on board the ark. But what happened to the ones that did not get on board the ark? They died. Okay? As did every other land animal at that time that did not get on board the ark. And every person not on the ark died during the worldwide flood. Now, what happened after the flood? They get off the ark, and for whatever reason, they don't thrive, and they died. Just like a lot of other animals have as well. About 50% of the mammals that we've ever identified are gone. But a quarter of the birds that we've ever identified are gone. Okay? So it's not just dinosaurs that have gone extinct. Ultimately, it is actually because of man's sin that brought death and suffering into this world. That's why these creatures are gone. But there's other reasons why dinosaurs could have gone extinct. I mean, after the flood, they're going to very different environment. Maybe the food that they like to eat wasn't really around and available in much. We believe that there was an ice age after the flood that was actually caused by the worldwide flood, which is the only mechanism we know of that could actually trigger an ice age. Uh, they could have been hunted by people. We'll talk about it that in just a minute. By other creatures, there could have been diseases or genetic problems, other catastrophes. All those things could have befallen dinosaurs. It doesn't have to be one big thing that wiped them all out. It was one big thing that wiped out most of them. That was the flood. All right, so let's go back to this issue then because we talked about dragons a little while ago. We're what we call dinosaurs, what some people in the past have called dra dragons. You know, if you go to the Creation Museum, we have an exhibit on dragon legends, it's called. And we, so what you notice is as you go around the globe, these ancient cultures have stories of dragons. And when you listen to their description, a lot of times they sound just like dinosaurs. So you can actually read about St. George and the dragon or Beowulf, if you guys ever read that. If you think of how Grendel is described in that story, okay? Uh, it's a creature that walks on two legs. It kills with its mouth. It can swallow a man in less than a minute. It kills 30 soldiers in one evening. And the way that Beowulf's able to kill it, sorry, spoiler alert, is he rips off one of its small uh, arms. Does that match the description of any creature that you ever heard of? That the only weak point would be its arms. It kind of sounds like the T-Rex, okay? Or a smaller version of that, like a theropod dinosaur of some sort. That's what it sounds like. But because we've been evolutionized, I think these things have lived millions of years ago. It can't be that. We try to think of something else. But it actually fits the description perfectly. All right. Uh, but if you go to uh, Cambodia and you go to the Taprom Temple, which is part of the Angkor Wat complex, look at what this guy's pointing at. Let me zoom in on that for you. That was carved 800 years ago. What does it look like? Sure looks like a stegosaur. They didn't go to a museum to see what they looked like, and they didn't order a book from the Internet to see what it looks like. Maybe they saw them, if that's what that is. I mean, it sure looks like one. Or how about out west, the Natural Bridges National Monument? Look at that one on the wall. 
Or if you go to Carlisle Cathedral in northern England, just south of the border with Scotland, if you get special permission to lift up that rug, okay, here's what you're going to see, the crypt of Bishop Richard Bell. He was the minister there about 500 years ago when Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, okay? That's what it looks like today. So he died. He was the minister there. They buried him on the floor of the church. So you guys can use that as a threat for the pastor, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was a way to honor them. But let me show you a sketch of what that looks like uh, because it's been rubbed down a little bit over the years with people walking out. That's why they covered up with a rug. That's one of the reasons. Notice that ring all the way around the outside. You see how some words are carved in there? You guys see that? There's, between all the words, there's also pictures that are carved in there. And there are pictures of animals that are carved 500 years ago. Let's see how well you guys do. What are these? That's a bat, right? That's pretty obvious. The guy, whoever carved that, the man or woman, is way better than I am at art. What about this one? It's a bird. Easy. Uh, it does start with an A. It starts with two A's, actually. Aardvark, okay? How about this one? Fish. How about this one? Dog. This is easy. You guys are really good at this. How about this one? A fox, okay? Nice job. How about these two? What does it look, look like two sauropod dinosaurs? How would they know about these things 500 years ago? Because maybe they called them dragons. Maybe that's why every one of these places in the UK has dragon legends. They were all over the place. Those legends have been handed down all over the world. So people have known about these creatures, but they called them something different. So if you go to the Creation Museum, you can read more about that in our first exhibit, the Dragon Legends exhibit. But you know what? There's a show 15 years ago that came out on A&E called Quest for Dragons. And what they did is for an hour and 15 minutes, they go around the globe, they're interviewing people from these ancient cultures about their dragon legends. And they get to the point where they say, you know what's so interesting and, and so confusing is how come so many times they sound just like dinosaurs? But that can't be because dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. So how could that possibly be? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Because if I told you, you'd never believe their answer, so I'm going to show you what their answer is. And I think the video is right there. Finding the whole picture involves solving the biggest dragon riddle of all. at that time and for millions of years after that time with three basic predators and these were big cats that would hunt them and these were uh, big birds with 10-foot wingspans would hunt them uh, or big snakes would hunt them. Over the millennia the image of the three basic predators of our ancient ancestors merged into one terrible creature, the dragon. What do you think? Are you convinced? I'm not. But let me ask you this. What else is he going to say? Dr. Jones already believes in the millions of years. That's the whole foundation of his entire belief system. It's the foundation of his philosophy. Actually, here's what it is. It's his religion. And he will not question that. So everything has to try to fit into that. He has to shoehorn everything into that worldview, no matter how ridiculous it may seem. At least he's trying. Most of them ignore it. He's trying to make sense of it, so I give him a little bit of credit. But here's what you have to understand, and this is what so many people don't realize. They think this whole issue of creation evolution that Pastor's been going on about and why I'm here today, that it is just about science versus faith. No, it isn't. It's not fact versus belief. You know what it is? It's worldview about the past, present, and future versus worldview about the past, present, and future. One begins with the word of man. People who were not there, people who don't know everything, people who regularly make mistakes. They may be very intelligent people, but they're also oftentimes starting with the idea that God did not do it. 
and they're trying to explain the world apart from God. Or the other worldview that says, let's begin with the word of the one who knows all things, who has always been, who told us what he did, and who cannot lie. And that's where we start. We have two different worldviews, so we look at the exact same data. We see the same fossils, the same stars, the same planet, the same trees. We study the same things, and we reach different conclusions because we have different starting points. And you have to understand that's the nature of the battle. And when you see that, all of this falls into place, even dinosaurs. And so when we're looking at dinosaurs with those two different worldviews, that's why when we see, uh, uh, actually, let me explain this real quickly. There's what you often are not told is that there are two different types of science, okay? Now, we think of like a chemistry experiment. It's testable, repeatable, observable. You can do it time and time and time again, get the same result, right? But what about something like a forensic investigation? You arrive, arrive on a murder scene, and you find a little bit of evidence here, a little bit of evidence here, a little bit of evidence here, and you're trying to put together what happened, right? And you don't have all the data. You weren't there. You weren't an eyewitness. You wish you had a really reliable eyewitness to tell you exactly what happened. And what happens so often in paleontology or geology or astronomy or biology, yeah, there's certain things they observe, but then when they tell you the backstory, all those other details, they're giving you their worldview. It's filling in the details. They're giving you their story. So that you can observe, like in biology, the human body. You can observe certain things it can do. But when it, they start telling you, this is how we evolved millions of years ago, that's the historical stuff. That is not observable. It's not testable. It's not repeatable. And you have to understand you're getting philosophy at that point not science, okay? So if we have the word of the one who is always there, then it makes more sense. For example, in 2005, when Dr. Mary Schweitzer's team found this soft tissue in a tyrannosaur femur, the upper leg bone, they broke it in part to try to transport it. It was too big to, to move it just all together. And when they did, they discovered soft tissue in there. And that surprised them because we were always told that this could never be found in dinosaur bones because this stuff could never last more than 10,000 years. And yet they found it. And so they said, that must be contamination. Go back and do some more tests. And so they did. And guess what they found? Soft tissue. Guess what else they found? Blood vessels and red blood cells. Don't worry, they didn't have enough DNA or anything for Jurassic Park, because if they did, I would have already gone there. I would have maxed up my credit card. Yes, I've seen the movies. I know it doesn't end well. I don't care. I can run faster than some people. Okay? <laughs> but are we surprised by this at all? This stuff can't last more than 10,000 years? No, it doesn't surprise us at all because they're not more than 10,000 years old. No big deal. In fact, we've since broken up another dinosaur world and guess, guess what we find? Soft tissue. Did it surprise them? Yes. What did they say? Oh, I guess the millions of years are wrong, right? No, that's not what they said. There must be some unknown process that could preserve these things for more than 67 million years. They will not question the millions of years because that is the foundation of their entire belief system. It's not science, it's a philosophy. And you have to understand that. They approach everything through that lens. So, in fact, you can listen to, go on YouTube and you type in Jack Horner, the man on the right. He was the, he's one of the world's leading paleontologists, and he is the expert that was used for the Jurassic Park films as a consultant. You can listen to an interview, type in Jack Horner soft tissue, and you'll hear an interview where Bob Enyart, who was a, a conservative talk show host, calls him and asks about that dinosaur, that T-Rex, the soft tissue, and says, hey, have you had that thing carbon dated? Oh, no, we don't worry about that. They don't do that with dinosaur bones. Why? Because carbon dating only lasts to like 60 to 100,000 years, and dinosaurs lived millions and millions of years ago, so you never find anything on there. And so he said, well, can you have it done? Just to check. Well, no, it costs a lot of money. He's like, well, how much? We'll send you the money. 
And he's like, oh, it's pretty expensive, like $10,000. The guy called back, he said, I've got $22,000, it's all yours. You can take $10,000 for the carbon dating and the rest of it all for your museum. And the guy hems and haws for about five minutes and finally he says, no, why? Because he said, because I know you're one of those creationists, I know what you're gonna do with the information. What information? If it's millions of years old, there is no radiocarbon in it. But he's scared to death that they might find some meaning that's less than 60,000 years old. He's not interested in science, he's interested in his philosophy. Okay, so the way that that works, and I'm not going to get into all the technical details, but these radioactive isotopes break down over a, a, what we think is a consistent rate of time, and you can measure how long it takes for a half-life to develop. So, for example, uh, with radioactive carbon, carbon-14, it's 5,730 years. If you started with 2 milligrams, which would be a lot of radiocarbon, just for the purpose of illustration, you start with 2 milligrams, and we lost that slide, and that would mean in... 6,000 years, you're now going to have one milligram. In 12,000 years, you're going to now have half a milligram. In 18,000 years, a quarter. You see how it's breaking down by half every time? Pretty soon it's undetectable. That's why it's only good for about 60 to 100,000 years. So if you found radiocarbon, it would demonstrate that it's less than 100,000 years old. Not 65 million. That's why they wouldn't ever even use that with dinosaur bones. But they should. And there's all sorts of assumptions that go into it. Even with the radiocarbon dating, you're always assuming certain things. You're assuming you know how much of the parent element, the daughter element was there at the beginning. You're assuming the decay rate was always constant, which that might be a pretty good assumption. And you're assuming that it's never been contaminated. The thing's laying in the ground with water rushing through the entire time. In fact, that's how you form a fossil, is by having the water carry these minerals through it and turn it into a rock. So it's constantly being contaminated. So how are we supposed to trust these dates when things are being contaminated all the time? So let's wrap things up here, and I want to talk about how we can use these things for God's glory, because, you know what, dinosaurs are amazing creatures, and when we look at the Bible, it tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? The Bible tells us you can speak to the ant and learn things from these creatures. Have you guys ever studied creation? Have you ever looked at what the hummingbird can do? How many of you love hummingbirds? Have you ever studied these things? They are incredible. They're some of the coolest things God ever made, and they're just these tiny little birds. They can do so many amazing things. The human body is so amazing. can do so many amazing things. What do you think it would be like if you stood in front of one of these? Do you think you might be impressed and amazed at what our God can do? Yeah, because he is all-powerful. He knows all things. Look, we need to be pointing people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just about this whole creation evolution debate. Guys, that is an important issue. It's foundational to what we believe, but ultimately we need to point people to the cross. Well, how do we do that? How can we use dinosaurs for that? Let me... Let me explain something real quick. If you have a fossil, that is evidence of death, right? That's something that died. So fossils, right away when you're talking about that, you are talking about death. And there's two different ways to look at this issue of death and suffering. The evolutionary view, death is a good thing. Death is how we got here. Death brought man into existence. That's how we get ahead. And it's always been part of the process ever since that first little amoeba-like creature evolved from non-living materials. But there's a problem because when you do that, you're, when you look at dinosaur bones and everything, if those things were really 65 million years old, we find evidence of brain tumors, arthritis, cancer, like I had 16 years ago with leukemia. And I can tell you, you guys don't need me to tell you, cancer's not very good, is it? Well, it's a terrible thing. It's impacted every one of our lives in some way or another. And, um, but what does the Bible tell us after God made Adam and Eve? So if the millions of years are true, this would be millions of years later, God makes everything, including Adam and Eve, looks at everything he made and it was... Very good. Really, God made a world full of death, suffering, disease for hundreds of millions of years and called it very good? That's what some Christians are trying to do when they try to blend the millions of years with the Bible. I don't think they're intentionally trying to attack God's character, but that's what they're ultimately doing. But the other way to look at that is exactly what the Bible tells us, that God created a perfect world and we wrecked it through our sin. 
Adam's sin brought death into this world. Okay? The reason for all the death, suffering, and disease is because of man's sin. And if Adam's sin did not bring death and suffering into this world, here's the point you really have to understand. If, if you add the millions of years of the Bible, death's already been here a long time before Adam. When God says, Adam, if you eat from this fruit, you're going you're to die. Adam would be like, so what, God? Everything else dies already. Okay? If Adam's sin did not bring physical death into the world, then how come the solution to sin is the physical death of the Son of God on the cross and the physical bodily resurrection from the grave? If sin and death have no connection, which is what evolution in millions of years mean, you've just undermined the foundation for the cross and the empty tomb. Yes, a person can believe this and still believe in the millions of years and be saved because the gospel is about what Christ did on the cross and rising from the dead. But you're being highly inconsistent. You're telling God, I don't trust you at the beginning, but I trust you here. Okay, why don't we just trust God from the very first verse because he knows what he's talking about and he told us what he's done, including with these amazing creatures called dinosaurs. Let me tell you about a few of the resources we got on the back table. Uh, my wife is right back there. She's standing there. If you can raise your hand so everybody can see that pretty lady back there. All right, she's actually from Minnesota, so you can go talk to her. I know I'm from that other place. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, but yes, yeah, we'll have a bunch of books on the back table there. So the Truth Chronicles, the series I wrote, I showed you a picture of that earlier. It's an action-adventure series, time travel adventure with dinosaurs, explosions, all that fun stuff. But you're also learning what it means to have a biblical worldview, how you can witness to your friends. How did Noah fit those animals on the ark? What about radiocarbonate? All those things are worked into the storyline, and there's a study guide to go through 18 of those issues in more detail, and they're illustrated. So like middle school, junior high age, ages 9 to 15. Uh, so you get a lot of dinosaur illustrations as well. Uh, so I've got Noah series. This is a historical fiction. They're kind of like the official backstory for Noah and his family at the Ark Encounter. So if you've been through there, uh, the details, if they're not right from the Bible, they're from this series. We want to have one consistent storyline. So that takes you from Noah as a time of a young man up to the time of the flood. And then I mentioned my cancer battle. I've got a book about, about that, how God brought me through that. Uh, so that's available at the back table. Uh, my favorite topic is the resurrection. And so I've written a book on the resurrection, how we can know that Christ rose from the dead. There's also a DVD series that goes through 12 lessons, a small group study on the resurrection. And finally, if you've ever wondered about that strange passage in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the sons of God and the Nephilim, that's what I did my THM thesis on. So I wanted to do like the most in-depth Bible study that's ever been done on that topic. That's what that book is, about 500 pages just on the sons of God and the Nephilim without getting into all the conspiracy stuff. It's just a biblical study on that. And we also have a flash drive where we put a whole bunch of that material on there for you and a bunch of other things as well, uh, including a couple of movies I did with a friend of mine, a couple of spoofs of the Night at the Museum movie. Um, so Night at the Creation Museum, Night at the Ark Encounter, some gag reels on there as well. Don't expect some great acting. I'm not going to quit my day job, okay? But um, we had a lot of fun with it. So over $300 worth of value on that flash drive, and we sell it to you for 60 And you know what? If you can't afford the $60, talk to my wife. Um, she'll probably be nice to you, and she'll whatever you can afford, uh, she'll be happy to give it to you for that. So guys, thanks so much for your, your time this morning, and I'm going to turn it back over.